You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. All right, I got two things I wanted to mention before we hop into our message here. The first one is just a really cool testimony I wanted to share. Last week, we talked about forgiveness and how important it is to forgive and forgive quickly. After service, just a few hours after, I got a call from someone um, who had uh, heard the message and uh, they had run into um, some hardened hearts within their own family. Somebody in their family had stopped by their house and actually it escalated. The family member attacked them. And so um, the person who lived in the house called the police and said, please come help. The police showed up and it kind of cycled in a weird way. And the person who lived in the house who called the police got arrested, not the person who attacked them. And so they ended up in the back of a cop car calling me saying, I don't know what's going on. The police know this isn't my fault. They've told me that, but they have to follow these legal perspectives. And so I'm going to jail and I don't know what's going to happen from there. So I, I don't know what to do with this information. I called the jail around 1030 at night and they tell me, yeah, they're here. There's nothing you can really do about it. Uh, we'll see what's going on in the morning. And so I'm kind of praying for this person and just hoping like, oh, God, please take care of them. And I'm also thinking of my message that morning, like uh, it would be very easy to not forgive this moment, to double down on your anger and have more family uh, strife as you harden your heart. And so I'm praying in all these different kind of directions. And I get a call in the morning. They're like, they let me out. They knew it wasn't my fault and the charges have been dropped. Um, I don't have to go to the judge later today. And Jamin, I just want to let you know I was there the whole time. Uh, I was forgiven my family for what they did to me. And um, I was also uh, telling all the other people in jail with me about Jesus and his goodness. (laughs) And I'm thinking to myself, if this is not the gospel... If this is not just straight up, like, right out of the book of Acts itself, then I don't know what it is. And you can, you can even applaud that right now. I mean, that's just, that's a crazy story. For someone to call the police for help, end up in jail themselves, um, though they were the ones being attacked, and then forgive and love and preach the gospel. And they even ran into someone uh, later, they, uh, one of the persons that they preached the gospel to, that they didn't think they were getting out of jail because they'd been running from the police for a year. They got out of jail, and they ran into them um, getting off the bus and were able to kind of catch up with them again. So be praying for those seeds that were planted in Jackson as it is in heaven. Let's see those lives, lives changed. Okay, we, uh, another thing for you. Um, We've had this word now for about a year, cherry blossoms for Jack uh, for 1208, repent and make space for new gifts. We've been doing that. Uh, I encourage you to always be doing that. I have seen new gifts poured out on many of you. It's very cool. And I'm excited to see what God continues to do with those cherry blossom words. And last week I shared a word, Bethphage was something that I just felt the spirit put in my head. Uh, and that word in... Um, 
it's in scripture like once or twice, but it's a city name. And the name means uh, house of unripened figs. And so I've been praying like, okay, God, uh, when are you going to come? When are we going to see the fullness of these cherry blossoms? And that word I was still trying to figure out like, okay, how do we ripen then? How do we become the fullness of what we are supposed to be? Uh, this week, somebody I trust very much with a very strong prophetic gifting gave me a uh, text and just said they were praying and they felt Jesus say over 1208, um, you haven't missed it. You have not missed it. So as we continue to lean into what God's doing and we continue to repent and we continue to figure out how we can best uh, ripen in each of our own individual lives and together as a community, know that we are still walking into to what he's called us to and uh, continue to pray into that and share that. Okay, we're in Luke, and a somewhat familiar story here, story about a tax collector, Levi. Now, you have to know, if you don't know about tax collectors, when we see tax collectors in the Bible, we're not just thinking like, oh, the people that we have to talk to every year that help us do those things that, that we dislike. Uh, um, because today you might think of tax collectors as like, yeah, they've come to get my money or, you know, like the, I don't like to give it to them, but I don't really have a choice. Tax collectors in the Bible were like straight up corrupt for the most part. Um, they would show up at your house. They would say, have you paid your taxes? And then they would take a huge cut off the top and raise the taxes even more so that they would benefit greatly. So tax collectors in Jesus' time, they were very rich because they would make lots of money off of the um, people that they were literally robbing. And they were robbing them as legally as possible because they kind of had this power to collect money and they would just raise the prices through the roof. And so it was like legal robbery. So if you're wondering why in the Bible people are very not happy with tax collectors, well, there's part of the reason why. Even more so, the Jews were especially upset with some of the uh, tax collectors because they were their own Jewish brothers and sisters. And, well, brothers in this case. Their own Jewish brothers would go and work these jobs. And that felt to them like they had betrayed them to work for the Romans, and now they were robbing them on the Romans' behalf. So tax collectors in general throughout the Bible, like, they were not seen as pleasant people. They were seen as robbers who could just get away with it. And many of them were viewed as, like, betrayers of their own people. So Jesus goes up to one of these people, betrayers, um, robbers, and when he sits down with them, he's not just sitting and thinking like, oh, yeah, we got to pay taxes. No, we're thinking like legal robbery, all right? So Jesus, in Luke 5, 27, goes up to someone who's a tax collector, and he says uh, he saw a tax collector named Levi. In this case, the Bible, if you look through it all, we see that Levi is most likely Matthew, the guy who wrote the Gospel of Matthew. So Levi, Matthew. Uh, he went out to a tax collector named Levi, or Matthew, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, what's Jesus going to say? He's going to rebuke him, right? He's going to be like, I can't believe you're doing this. Repent, you sinner. No, he says, follow me. Follow me. The same kind of command that he's given to other disciples within his group to leave things behind and follow him. 
And leaving everything, Levi rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have come to call, uh, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, in the church, a lot of times we have these debates based on other Bible passages like how close can we get to the, the secular world? How close can we uh, go to people who are sinners and, and not end up sharing in sin with them and things like that? And yet you have Jesus walk into a place filled with tax collectors, filled with legal robber people that everybody knows they're just straight up robbing everyone around them. They have a great feast, which maybe also feels kind of like Where'd all that money come from to have this great feast, you know? Jesus is in the room with these sinners, eating with them without abandon, showing love to them, and especially to one of them who has now just become one of his own, has become one of his 12 disciples. But Jesus sees that even somebody who is caught up in this kind of life can change their world around and pursue righteousness and become one of the 12 disciples that will change the world and give us one of our longest gospels that we have. That's an incredible change. You know, a lot of times we're looking at the people who have all the sin in their life and they're like, they're, they're the ones who are going to mess this all up again. They're the ones that are going to relapse and, and mess it all up. Interesting, Judas is the one who actually goes money crazy. Judas is the one that we don't have our eye on. The one who in the background is embezzling from the treasury is what John says. But Matthew, he changes his life around. And Jesus does something interesting. In order to multiply his efforts to reach sinners, he just kind of gets right into their world. He is invited into a feast where Matthew is able to introduce him to all of his friends. And now Jesus has a chance to share the gospel with all of these people. And the Bible doesn't tell us that every tax collector in that room changed their life around and got saved. It doesn't. But they did get a chance to experience God in flesh. Something that they otherwise would not have experienced. And that's something that the church struggles with. Like, we're still the Pharisees that like to point the fingers and be like, I can't believe you hung out with those people. I can't believe that you're trying to minister to those people. And we put up walls like, I can't believe you ministered to someone behind this wall and that wall and that wall. Do you know what those kinds of people do? Do you know how, how they get away with all these kinds of things? Aren't you just polluting your life when you try to get involved with them? No. Jesus shows us, like, I have not come to call the righteous. I'm getting involved in the sinner's lives and bringing them back to Christ, bringing them to my Father. Because when a sinner repents, like, the Bible makes a huge deal out of that. There is more rejoicing in heaven over a sinner who repents. 
Can you imagine that? Like, are the numbers just like ticking in on a ticker up in heaven and every time it goes off, the angel's like, yeah, we got another one, you know? That's, that's kind of like the celebration that the Bible shows is that, yeah, like, that's, that's everything. The excitement of people coming to Jesus and getting saved, that their hearts would be warmed. But they can't be warmed if we don't go. They can't know who Jesus is if Jesus doesn't walk into the room with them. And it's interesting that they even let Jesus in the room because, you know, today we often talk about Christians being judgmental. Like, Jesus is a religious leader now. He's becoming quite famous for being known in the religious sphere. And most of the religious sphere people of Jesus' time were judgmental. The Pharisees always had their noses up at everybody. They were always trying to call attention to this and that sin. Jesus had to compete with the image of what spiritual leaders already looked like in his time and recognize that, that he was going to a place where they might judge him from the get-go and may not want to let him in because they had already been judged by others. Pastors get used to that because whenever you're at a place where somebody's like, oh, so what do you do for a living? <laughs> We're always like kind of on edge, like, all right, is today the day where I say I do graphic design on the side? <laughs> or is today the day where I'm like, oh, I'm a pastor? And you kind of sense out where is this going to go? And... I mean, I always will go, oh, well, I pastor a church. And you never know how that's going to go on the other side. Sometimes you kind of have the, oh, you kind of people. Other times you'll have the, oh, God bless you, you know, like, okay, weird. <laughs> and other times you'll have them start preaching at you all of these uh, very deep messages that you're like, maybe you should have my job. You never know what's going to happen on the other side. But Jesus walks into a place where it really doesn't seem like he belongs and people are comfortable with him. It says they're reclining at the table with him. They're experiencing God's love. Whether they get saved or not, Jesus is planting seeds in their life. And if you want to be able to get in people's lives, then you need to be able to walk in still with your righteousness intact and then show them who God is. Because Jesus doesn't like sacrifice his own righteousness. We know that he never sinned. Jesus does not lessen himself to be around people. He does not participate in sin to be around people. He just joins them and shows them who his father is. And only Jesus could be so perfect and so non-judgmental that someone like Levi would want to introduce him to all of his tax-collecting friends. Only Jesus could go up to the woman at the well, who he knows has been divorced five times and is now with the sixth uh, boyfriend who, who may or may not work out. We don't know where it's going. Only Jesus could go up to someone like that, fully righteous. Only Jesus could go up to someone like that, having preached that there is a very slim margin for reasons to get divorced. Only Jesus could go up to someone like that, and that person would be so amazed by who Jesus is that she goes to get the whole city say, you got to meet this guy. Where though Jesus would preach differently than how her life has gone, he just loves in the midst of chaos. Where though Jesus walks in fully aware of her chaos, she experiences the fullness of God's love in that moment. 
And that's another in that Jesus gets through one person who feels safe with Jesus and then goes to tell the whole city, you got to meet this guy. Through one tax collector who feels safe with Jesus, who brings in all his tax collecting friends, have a feast, you got to get to know this guy. Through one guy who's got a legion of demons in him, who gets delivered by Jesus, wants to follow Jesus, but Jesus says, stay here and tell your whole city about what God has done for you. That person that the whole city will know that he's changed because he's not out screaming on the mountaintops, running around naked in the cemeteries. Now he's in his right mind telling people who Jesus is. Jesus finds a person, they become a person of peace between him and the rest of society, and he sends them out to create that kind of connection. Have you seen this at work before? This multiplication, finding that person of peace and then breaking into their world? I've heard many testimonies of like biker groups where somebody who's into uh, biking, uh, bike, you know, like motorcycling, is that a, what's the word? Apparently I'm not that person. Harley people. Um, they, they find a way into a group of people who are super into biking or whatever you call it. And then this whole gang, it will start with kind of one person and then the rest of them will get saved too because you find this person at peace, you break through. That's some of the efforts that we've done here at 1208 where we've started things like nerd church. We're trying to find our people of peace, and these nerds, and then find all the other nerds around that we can to show them who Jesus is. Do you find your way into places where you can minister to people? Because I often find that in the church we can close ourselves off to the rest of the world and just try to operate with other Christians, never getting to know someone who's not a Christian. And if you want to eventually end up becoming judgmental, then you'll get stuck in your own little Christian world and never be able to break out to see others. Jesus did not call us to get inside of our churches and hide. He gave us the Great Commission. Go out into all the world, tell people who I am, baptize them, heal them, deliver them. That's the gospel. It's the Great Commission. And the church today has fallen away from that. Barna statistics have shown that it's kind of a small percentage of people that have even heard the term Great Commission and know what that is. That's the point. It's not just to get saved and live a happy little comfortable life in your own niche community where you never see another person. The point is to get saved and take that gospel into all the other places. So where do you work? Where do you live? Where do you play? What are the spaces that you are already in? Who are the people caught up in sin in your life that you need to get into to show them who Christ is? We see this a lot in Jackson with like recovery groups. That people who are Christians are working in recovery and find their ways into the messes of chaos that people have. Not judging them, just loving them. Until that can become a bridge to show them who Jesus is and that can kind of trickle out into other places. The gospel is to multiply, not to stay st stuck and frozen in one spot. 
when Paul starts preaching, he goes to places and he finds people and he shows them who Jesus is, finds that person of peace, and then it breaks out into the rest of the community. It goes up to a woman named Lydia. He leads her to Christ. Lydia immediately opens up her house to Paul and his friends. And then it seems by later in Acts, Lydia now holds a house church. She's a probably pretty wealthy woman given the job that she was working in that the Bible tells us. And she took all that and she found ways to use that to bridge the gap between her society and between what Jesus was doing. Who are your non-Christian friends? Who are your friends who are caught up in sin? Who are the ones that you cut out of your life that you need to let back in? Who are the ones that need to know about who Jesus is? And if they don't hear about it from you, who are they going to hear it from? I haven't researched this story at all, but I heard it recently of uh, uh, one pastor referencing a book that they had read. A guy who had had a vision and he saw all these people kind of like walking toward hell. And then he found all this blood on his hands. He said, what is this? And he felt in the vision that Jesus said, uh, oh, their blood is on your hands. Are you telling them about me? Like I said, I don't know anything more than that. It's just kind of hearing it through the grapevine. But it convicted me when I heard it. Who in my life am I not ministering to? This past week, my next-door neighbor, Marshall, who... I like to think of him as my own personal Wilson um, in uh, Home Improvement. You know, that guy who's always covered behind a fence. Uh, he's an older guy, very friendly. Uh, as far as I know, he didn't know Jesus, and I hope that uh, he at least could see Jesus through me. Um, his children knocked on my door earlier this week, and he had walked into a gas station up at his cabin and fell over and died. Lived in that house for 50 years. I've had at least 11 to show him who Jesus is. As far as I know, he didn't come around. I don't know. But I had the chance. I could have done more. Who in your life needs to know who Jesus is? And how can you step into their life to show that to them? My next step is I'll be doing his funeral. I let them know I'm a pastor. I'll be doing his funeral tomorrow. I'll be talking to a bunch of people whom I do not know. I have to try to find a way to be just religious enough as a pastor without being, you know, uh, usurping the funeral of the identity of who he was. He'll let his friends know that uh, Jesus loves him and loves them too. What are the ways? And when you get involved in people's lives, to show them. You can pray for me tomorrow as I try to navigate that myself. Fortunately, his daughter is a strong Christian and, and has invited me to do that. She's my person of peace to be able to step in and, and, and be able to say that. But who are your people? So, Jesus, would you bring to our minds right now, we know that uh, you're the one who brings people into salvation 
nobody gets there by accident. We, we're not the ones who choose to just become saved. We only get there by invitation. But God, if the invitation doesn't go out, then perhaps people's blood is on our hands because we're not reaching out to them. So who is it in our lives, where we live, where we work, where we play, that we are not connecting with? Who are the people in our lives that you would say it has been disobedience that we have not connected with them more? So that we might plug into their lives and show them who you are. Who are the tax collectors that we need to sit with? Who are the garrison demoniacs that we need to liberate? Who are the Lydias that can be a person of peace in their area? Who are the Matthews who can become strong disciples that can change the world? Your word says that you want everyone to be saved. And so we know you must be hurting because we know that's not the case. But may it not uh, be because we have not tried. Yes, let us love. Yes, let us congregate together. Let us do justice. Let us bring about heaven. But let us also evangelize. And teach us how. Word of comfort for all of you here. Not all of you are called to be Paul. Not all of you are supposed to get up in front of everyone and, and eloquently preach every last piece of the gospel. That's, that was a calling on Paul's life. There are callings to positions of evangelism, but everyone is an evangelist. There are callings to positions of pastoring, but everyone looks over someone else in the faith. There are callings on people to be apostles and plant churches, but everyone is to be involved in creating churches. There are callings on some to heal, but everyone is called to lead people in healing. Yes, there are callings and gifts that we can walk into that can take us to other levels, but we are all called to the fullness of what the faith is. So who is it that Jesus wants to convict you about when it comes to evangelism? And Jesus, show us, who's the person that you're trying to work on already so that we can join you in kind of bringing down that wall that they might turn to you? Jesus, what is it that we've done that has either led them closer to you so we could do more of it or that has pushed them farther away? Where have we been judgmental? Who do we need to apologize to? God, the amount of times I've reached out to someone years later just to say, I realize I did not show you Jesus well in this moment. Would you please forgive me? Teach us. You want all to be saved. So may we do all we can in our lives to see people saved. And God, um, salvations has not been a strong statistic of 1208 over the years. Would that increase? 
whatever it is that we have not missed, wherever these cherry blossoms are headed, may it include many, many of Jackson coming to faith. Because how can, how can heaven come to Jackson if it's not creating more citizens of heaven? Teach us how to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. So take the advice of the person who ended up in jail and yet spent that time ministering to the people around them about who Jesus is. Take that with you and lead others to Christ.